Hello and thank you for tuning in to Kingdom's Cornerstone News, the first newscast produced with citizens of the kingdom that will never end in mind. I'm Jamie Kiever. Today is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. Humanitarian aid is flowing into Haiti after Saturday's 7.2 magnitude earthquake that has officials reporting a death toll of 1,297 people. A 14-person U.S. Coast Guard team landed in Port-au-Prince on Sunday to assist in disaster relief and assess areas impacted by the quake. The quake turned thousands of structures into rubble and set off frantic rescue efforts ahead of a potential deluge from an approaching tropical storm which couldn't come at a worse time for Haiti which is struggling to deal with this earthquake and an incredibly high death toll. Over to Afghanistan, where the country continues to spiral out of control, Taliban forces continue to advance as the U.S. completely withdraws from the country after 20 years of war. Frontier Alliance International released an article we'll include a link to in the description, reporting at least 20 to 34 Afghan provincial capitals have fallen to the Taliban. In the wake of Taliban reconquests have come reports of shuttered businesses, executions of captured soldiers, and forced marriages. After two decades of social and educational advancement for Afghan women, the Taliban are reimposing the harsh, harshest measures of Sharia law, including the requirement to wear a full burqa in public and for women to travel with male chaperones. It's reported local families are being coerced under threat of violence and extortion to give their unmarried daughters to Taliban fighters as war brides. Next, the video gets pretty graphic, and so we want to make sure that you're prepared. This is from RTA World and reads, Afghans are taken out of their homes and killed by Taliban. Videos have emerged on social media showing scores of dead bodies on roads and streets in the province. Hashtag sanction on Pakistan. Hashtag sanction Pakistan. Hashtag Afghan lives matter. Afghanistan's first female mayor tells inews.co.uk in an article we'll be sure to link to that she's waiting for the Taliban to come and kill people like her. The Taliban have already vowed to kill Zarifa Ghaffari and managed to gun down her father last November, just 20 days after a third failed attempt on Ghaffari's life. President Joe Biden stood by his withdrawal plan addressing the American public early Monday afternoon. We went to Afghanistan almost 20 years ago with clear goals. Get those who attacked us on September 11, 2001, and make sure al-Qaeda could not use Afghanistan as a base from which to attack us again. We did that. All that being said, it's being reported the White House and top U.S. officials were stunned by the pace of the Taliban's nearly complete takeover of Afghanistan as the planned withdrawal of American forces urgently became a mission to ensure a safe evacuation. Thousands of Afghans rushed onto the tarmac of Kabul's International Airport Monday, some so desperate to escape the Taliban capture of their country they clung onto an American military aircraft as it took off eventually plunging to their death in chaos that killed at least seven people, according to a U.S. official. It's very hard to imagine this kind of desperation. Frontier Alliance International is reporting the underground church have received letters of notice from Taliban leaders saying they know what's going on and are not going anywhere. 
We need to be lifting our Afghan brothers and sisters in Christ up in prayer. We need to be praying for peace in Israel and peace and justice for the Kurds. We need to remember the underground Christian church in Iran and the persecuted church in Nigeria and all throughout Africa. Western Christians, we must exercise our freedoms on behalf of the oppressed. I challenge you to bring this before God. Ask Him how He'd like for you to get involved. People's lives hang in the balance. People who have sacrificed everything to help America. We must cry out to God and our politicians on their behalf. We'll be right back after this short message. It's gone viral recently from a young girl in Afghanistan. On December 13, 1993, my grandmother, Letha Pittman, died of ovarian cancer. Being the strong Christian woman she was throughout the seven-year ordeal, she claimed healing and praised God for it, the whole time progressively getting worse. But why? She claimed the healing. She spoke it. She went to all the healing services. She did everything she was told. The only conclusion anyone could make at the time was she simply didn't have enough faith. Now, what she didn't know at the time, what I didn't know at the time, was that guaranteed healing and speaking things into existence through faith, these are all hallmarks of the prosperity gospel, also known as the Word of Faith movement. Now, is there something to this doctrine, or is this a distortion of the biblical gospel, essentially a false doctrine? Joining me to discuss this is Tim Beyer, pastor of Faith Baptist Church. Tim, it is great to have you back on the show. Great to be back. Let's start by diving right in. What is the prosperity gospel, and how does it differ from the biblical gospel? Yeah, all right. So the biblical gospel first tells us that Jesus is the gift of all gifts, that Christ is our prize, that we did not deserve salvation. We did not deserve Christ to come for us, but he did. And so we're already given more than we deserve. But the prosperity gospel devalues Christ as that gift, kind of jumps over Jesus and talks about what more we can get. The prosperity gospel uh, tells us that we should be wealthy, we should be healthy, we should be powerful, we should be mighty. It uses Jesus as a genie a little bit, uh, you know, kind of rub the bottle a little bit and just ask like, hey, Jesus, I need wealth. Hey, Jesus, I need health. Hey, I need power. I need position. I need these things. It's a name it and claim it religion and distortion of the gospel and 
unfortunately, it's very prevalent here in the States and extremely prevalent, pre prevalent, excuse me, in other parts of the world because we're exporting this gospel to third world countries who are very impoverished. And we come into a village and say, do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be wealthy? Just follow this Jesus. And of, yeah, absolutely. I want this Jesus because I want health and I want wealth. Um, in the scripture, we find a complete opposite when it comes to those the apostles and the disciples who followed after Jesus. They, they, they suffered and they died horrible deaths and they weren't uh, wealthy. But in our teaching too often in this modern age, we, we elevate the gift over the giver. And the prosperity gospel is really dangerous. Well, Tim, is the Bible against wealth? Is it a mm -hmm. sin to be wealthy? Uh, no, no, uh, and yes, possibly. So no, because uh, money and resources and wealth is not inherently evil. There's nowhere in the scripture, blessed are the poor, certainly, but there's nowhere in the scripture to think of the talents. Uh, Jesus gives, uh, you know, he tells the story of, you know, now we have five talents and we make it 10. Like, that's great. And we've got 10, we make it 20. Like nowhere in the scripture is wealth inherently evil, but the love of wealth, the love of money is the root of all evil. So. Um, we, we live in America, and, and we're wealthy just by being born in this latitude and this longitude. And so that does not make us inherently evil because our parents have wealth or maybe we are born into wealth. But what we do with it and where we put our uh, hope in it, now, now we're starting to be judged for sure. So think of the rich young ruler. Um, for him, I think it was a sin to hold on to his wealth. I don't think it was a sin to have the wealth. But Jesus, when he came, he said, how do I inherit eternal life? And he's like, hey, uh, go sell everything and follow me. In that moment, like, I, don't, I don't think it was a sin that he had all those resources. But in that moment when he chose his resources over the actual gift, the actual prize who is in Jesus, now he is being judged on his decision. So for all of us in the States who have money, and we might not have a fat stack, but even those of us who are living paycheck to paycheck, we're still real wealthy when it comes to our standing with the rest of the world. Um, is it a sin to have the money that we have? Maybe. If we are elevating our um, reliance on our wealth over our reliance on the true gift who is Jesus. When Jesus was telling that guy, sell everything you have and follow me, we read that going, man, that's a, that's a tough choice. That's a real tough choice to just give everything and go to Jesus. But for those of us who know that Jesus is the gift of all gifts, that Jesus is everything in life, that we've been given Christ and he is the greatest thing that we could ever hold on to. If we understand that, then we understand that there's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to give up to hold on to Jesus because he is everything. So the reliance on our wealth is a sin, but to have wealth might not be, depending on what we are individually called to do. What about healing? Is God still in the business of healing miracles, or do you have to have faith to get healed? And if mm -hmm. you don't get healed, you don't have enough faith? I mean, how does that all work? Yeah, and so again, back to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel leaves no room for God's sovereignty. It leaves no room for God's will. The, back to your previous question, the, the prosperity gospel says we are all meant to be wealthy. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that. 
Some people are wealthy, some people are poor. I mean, we, we see like God in his will and his sovereignty gives some people wealth so we can be generous with. And in some, he gives us the blessing of being poor and holding on to nothing but Christ. And, and the same comes for healing. The prosperity gospel says that all of us are meant to be fully healthy and never have a malady. I mean, are you, I mean, read through the scripture. See how Paul literally has this thorn in the flesh that bugs him, bugs him, bugs him. And he asks God, take this from me. And God's answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. That just is so in the face of the prosperity gospel of saying, I need to be healthy. Genie in the bottle, my God, who is going to give me what I want, make me healthy. Look at the apostle Paul and find that that is completely in error. Now, are miracles still around? Yeah, man. I've, I've, I've walked with people who have had actual moments of healing. I've been with people and I've seen people pray healing and then accept it, it just uh, um, accept and be given healing. We, we, we've seen how God in his sovereignty and in his will give healing to people. But sometimes we pray fervently for healing and it doesn't come. And that's the thing, there, there's so much gray in our view of God's will. I mean, with God, it's just black and white. He knows what he's going to do. But we don't understand it. We don't see it. But we certainly need to exercise our faith. But the prosperity gospel says the reason you're not getting wealth, the reason you're not getting healing is you don't have enough faith, which is sound nowhere in the scripture. They use that teaching because it's not about your faith. It's about how much you give to their ministry. And I know that's controversial to say, but look at every single prosperity gospel preacher and see how prosperous they are. And so your faith in this version of the gospel, which truthfully is not really even the gospel, um, their, your faith is measured by how much you give to them the people who are giving this message. And so is there still healing? Absolutely. God's like spirit is still moving and giving healing for his glory, but it's all in his will and in his sovereignty. And so when we, when we pray for healing, we're still praying in his will. God, we, we believe you can, we want you to, but even if you don't, and that is where, honestly, that's more faith. That's more faith to say, even if you don't, I will still praise you. Tim Byer, pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, taking the hardest questions we can think of. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We look forward to speaking to you again next month. All right. See you next time. Now, there's more to this discussion, but in the interest of time, I've cut Tim's interview down and will, from now on, release the full B-Block interview in a product we're going to call More B-Block. It'll come out about the same time as every show and also ensures each show is not longer than 20 minutes. So please check out more B-Block wherever you watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News. My name is Tamar. I'm 50 years old. When I pick up any mine, or when I disarm any mine, when I clear any, any part of minefield, I feel very happy and I feel very glad because I feel I save a life for somebody. I have six children, but I was at home when they get born only for two of them. The other four, I was outside of home when they get born. So my brother was taking care of my responsibility doing taking my, my wife to hospital or any, any, any kind of help, he did that. He, he was just call me, hey, you got a baby. Congratulations, that's it. 
this is the, the life in, in Kurdistan. When you, are, when you are saving life, you will be like that. I mean, you have to take away your life because of somebody else's life. Always is, is killing people. Every year, every time, especially when people go outside for tourists, for any kind of activity. Sometimes shipper got killed. Sometimes civilians, sometimes army, sometimes... I mean, it's, it's, the, the risk is for everybody. Sometimes I, I, I became very angry, and sometimes I'm very sad, because we still have this enemy, and we, we are not able to do anything about it. I hope one day I can see Kurdistan get clear before I die. Hope. Good hope, yeah, and good dream. Yeah. Welcome back to Kingdom's Cornerstone News. It's time now for the Gospel Minute, the part of the show where we talk about the one thing that separates us from the world. God's answer to every question man can come up with our redemption and path to a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Of course, I'm talking about the gospel. Now, last week, I said something that I'd like to expand upon. Let's take a look. The most important thing to walk away from, though, here is that Christianity does not exclude anyone. There's no sin the gospel can't cover. There's no one beyond redemption. All right, so that's not exactly 100% true. There is one sin the gospel will not cover, and let's take a look at that. This is Mark 3, 28 through 29. I tell you the truth. People will be forgiven for all sins, even all the blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Now, if you ask 20 different Christians what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, you'll likely get 20 unique answers. Now, I have my own take on what it is, and I'm happy to share that with you, with the caveat being that you research this yourself in the Bible. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff, and you should really be skeptical of everything you hear because you can verify anything about God in the Bible. All right, that being said, I believe blasphemy of the Holy Spirit amounts to rejection of His message to you. You see, this message is likely a very personal one, and therefore rejection becomes personal to a God who is eternal. Because this is a personal thing, the way that rejection looks will be unique and different depending on the person. Now, regardless, now is the time to accept what Christ has done. It's a personal price God paid for you as a ransom because of your sin. Will you accept this free gift? Now, it's free in so much that it won't cost you a dime, and it's open to anyone and everyone. It will, however, come at great personal cost. C.S. Lewis said, God will have all of you, or he'll have none of you. Now, if you'd like to discuss this further, please reach out to me personally at jamie .com or leave a comment in the comment section below. We really do appreciate all the likes and subscriptions and would ask you to please continue to share this show with anyone you think 
would appreciate a perspective of the world relevant to citizens of a kingdom that will have no end, a kingdom that is even now in our midst. Hey, don't forget, you can watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News on YouTube, Vimeo, and Odyssey. But if for some reason you can't find the show there, simply go to our website, kcn.takeed.com, where the show will always be, no matter what. Thank you so much for watching Kingdom's Cornerstone News. I'm Jamie Kiever. We'll see you next week. On December 13, 1993, my grandmother, Letha Pittman, died of ovarian cancer. Being the strong Christian woman she was throughout the seven-year ordeal, she claimed healing and praised God for it, the whole time progressively getting worse. But why? She claimed the healing. She spoke it. She went to all the healing services. She did everything she was told. The only conclusion anyone could make at the time was she simply didn't have enough faith. Now, what she didn't know at the time, what I didn't know at the time, was that guaranteed healing and speaking things into existence through faith, these are all hallmarks of the prosperity gospel, also known as the Word of Faith movement. Now, is there something to this doctrine, or is this a distortion of the biblical gospel, essentially a false doctrine? Joining me to discuss this is Tim Beyer, pastor of Faith Baptist Church. Tim, it is great to have you back on the show. Great to be back. Let's start by diving right in. What is the prosperity gospel, and how does it differ from the biblical gospel? Yeah, all right. So, the biblical gospel first tells us that Jesus is the gift of all gifts, that Christ is our prize, that we did not deserve salvation, we did not deserve Christ to come for us, but he did, and so we're already given more than we deserve. But the prosperity gospel devalues Christ as that gift, kind of jumps over Jesus, and talks about what more we can get. The prosperity gospel uh, tells us that we should be wealthy, we should be healthy, we should be powerful, we should be mighty. It uses Jesus as a genie a little bit, uh, you know, kind of rub the bottle a little bit and just ask like, hey, Jesus, I need wealth. Hey, Jesus, I need health. Hey, I need power. I need position. I need these things. It's a name it and claim it religion and distortion of the gospel and Unfortunately, it's very prevalent here in the States, extremely prevalent, pre prevalent, excuse me, in other parts of the world because we're exporting this gospel to third world countries who are very impoverished. And we come into a village and say, do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be wealthy? Just follow this Jesus. And of, yeah, absolutely. I want this Jesus because I want health and I want wealth. Um, in the scripture, we find a complete opposite when it comes to those the apostles and the disciples who followed after Jesus. They, they, they suffered and they died horrible deaths and they weren't uh, wealthy. But in our teaching too often in this modern age, we, we elevate the gift over the giver. And the prosperity gospel is really dangerous. Well, Tim, is the Bible against wealth? Is it a mm -hmm. sin to be wealthy? Uh, no, no. 
Uh, and yes, possibly. So no, because uh, money and resources and wealth is not inherently evil. There's nowhere in the scripture, blessed are the poor, certainly, but there's nowhere in the scripture to think of the talents. Uh, Jesus gives, uh, you know, he tells the story of, you know, now we have five talents and we make it 10. Like, that's great. And we've got 10, we make it 20. Like, nowhere in the scripture is wealth inherently evil, but the love of wealth, the love of money is the root of all evil. So, um, we, we live in America, man, and we're wealthy just by being born in this latitude and this longitude. And so that does not make us inherently evil because our parents have wealth or maybe we are born into wealth. But what we do with it and where we put our uh, hope in it, now, now we're starting to be judged for sure. So think of the rich young ruler. Um, for him, I think it was a sin to hold on to his wealth. I don't think it was a sin to have the wealth. But Jesus, when he came, he said, how do I inherit eternal life? And he's like, hey, uh, go sell everything and follow me. In that moment, like, I, don't, I don't think it was a sin that he had all those resources. But in that moment when he chose his resources over the actual gift, the actual prize who is in Jesus, now he is being judged on his decision. So for all of us in the States who have money, and we might not have a fat stack, but even those of us who are living paycheck to paycheck, we're still real wealthy when it comes to our standing with the rest of the world. Um, is it a sin to have the money that we have? Maybe. If we are elevating our uh, reliance on our wealth over our reliance on the true gift who is Jesus. When Jesus was telling that guy, sell everything you have and follow me, we read that going, man, that's a, that's a tough choice. That's a real tough choice to just give everything and go to Jesus. But for those of us who know that Jesus is the gift of all gifts, that Jesus is everything in life, that we've been given Christ and he is the greatest thing that we could ever hold on to. If we understand that, then we understand that there's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to give up to hold on to Jesus because he is everything. So the reliance on our wealth is a sin, but to have wealth might not be, depending on what we are individually called to do. What about healing? Is God still in the business of healing miracles or do you have to have faith to get healed? And if mm -hmm. you don't get healed, you don't have enough faith. I and mean, How does that all work? Yeah, and so again, back to the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel leaves no room for God's sovereignty. It leaves no room for God's will. The, back to your previous question, the, the prosperity gospel says we are all meant to be wealthy. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that. Some people are wealthy, some people are poor. I mean, we, we see like God in his will and his sovereignty gives some people wealth so we can be generous with. And in some, he gives us the blessing of being poor and holding on to nothing but Christ. And, and the same comes for healing. The prosperity gospel says that all of us are meant to be fully healthy and never have a malady. I mean, are you... I mean, read through the scripture. See how Paul literally has this thorn in the flesh that bugs him, bugs him, bugs him. And he asks, God, take this from me. And God's answer is, my grace is sufficient for you. That just is so in the face of the prosperity gospel of saying, I need to be healthy. Genie in the bottle, my God, who is going to give me what I want, make me healthy. Look at the Apostle Paul and find that that is completely in error. Now, are miracles still around? Yeah, man. I've, I've, I've walked with people who have had actual moments of healing. I've been with people and I've seen people pray healing and then accept, it, it just, uh, um, accept and be given healing. We've, we, we've seen how God, in His sovereignty and in His will, give healing to people. But sometimes we pray fervently for healing and it doesn't come. 
And that's the thing. There, there's so much gray in our view of God's will. I mean, with God, it's just black and white. He knows what he's going to do. But we don't understand it. We don't see it. But we certainly need to exercise our faith. But the prosperity gospel says the reason you're not getting wealth, the reason you're not getting healing is you don't have enough faith, which is sound nowhere in the scripture. They use that teaching because it's not about your faith. It's about how much you give to their ministry. And I know that's controversial to say, but look at every single prosperity gospel preacher and see how prosperous they are. And so your faith in this version of the gospel, which truthfully is not really even the gospel, um, your faith is measured by how much you give to them the people who are giving this message. And so is there still healing? Absolutely. God's like spirit is still moving and giving healing for his glory, but it's all in his will and in his sovereignty. And so when we, when we pray for healing, we're still praying in his will. God, we, we believe you can, we want you to, but even if you don't, and that is where honestly, that's more faith. That's more faith to say, even if you don't, I will still praise you. I mentioned I wanted to discuss this topic with you, and you told me to watch a film called American Gospel, mm. Christ Alone. And I thought I understood the difference between the prosperity gospel and the actual gospel. Boy, was I mistaken. Mm. I'll be sure to link to that movie in the description of this video. I highly recommend it, as yes. I'm sure you do too, Tim. But I find myself struggling a bit. Uh, a, l a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a giver. I enjoy being mm. very generous to the point that it hurts. At the same time, I've been extremely blessed with what I feel is an obnoxious amount of affluence and wealth. I always thought God was blessing me because I was just so generous with my tithe and charitable giving. What's wrong with that thinking? Maybe nothing. Um, I think both, uh, both ends can be true here. I mean, in the scripture we see, like from uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, when you give, see that God doesn't open up the storehouses and bless you. Uh, I think that is a true biblical principle in some people's lives, but it shouldn't be expected of us. The prosperity gospel tells us that we should expect it. Give and you will be given back. Like we use this, you cannot outgive God. And I believe, it, and I've seen it in some people's lives, that they give and God blesses. And I think that's true. But again, the prosperity gospel says that that is normative, that that is available to all people. But we also see blessed are the poor. We see blessed are the meek, blessed are those who give. We're called in the New Testament to give sacrificially, to, uh, to, to, to share in our resources so that no one has need within the body. We are, we're, we're called to do that. And sometimes that means giving and never getting it back. And so we, we, we shouldn't expect God to give back, but sometimes he does. And so we can't just say, all right, you can't outgive God. That's untrue because sometimes it is, but it's not normative. It's not always the case. And so, Jamie, I, I've, I've, I've known you to be a generous giver. I've known you to be a sacrificial giver. And I am not going to tell you that God isn't blessing you because of that. But I'm also telling you don't expect God to bless you because of that. Because you and I have already been given the gift of all gifts. And so no matter what we give away, it will still not be bigger than the gift of Christ that we have already been given. And so if God decides to continue to bless you with shekels, uh, to continue to bless you with resources, then praise the Lord, continue to give away. Continue to be blessed with that gift so that you can bless others, ministries, and different things. But to expect is not biblical. That's the prosperity gospel that they teach, but to expect it because we have sown a seed or given this pastor some money and so now we're going to get back tenfold. 
It's just not biblical. All right, trick question. <laughs> is salvation possible through the prosperity gospel? And I'm asking like that on purpose. What I'm mm. really getting at is, this is really an American spin on the gospel, the prosperity gospel. And I know there are very sincere, God-fearing Christians who subscribe to this and are simply deceived. Mm. Is their salvation real? Or, or, or is their salvation at risk? Whew, yeah. Um, well, first, Philippians 1, Paul writes to the church there in Philippi and says, you know, some preach out of selfish ambition, some preach out of envy, but thanks be to God that they're at least preaching Jesus. Um, they're at least preaching Jesus. And so that gives me a little bit of a hope um, that in the midst of some of these money-hungry preachers, um, at least they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. That gives me some hope. But I also, in the midst of that, go, all right, that, that, that gives me some hope, but I, I, I wonder, are they actually preaching Jesus? They're using the name of Jesus, but are they preaching Jesus? So my hope is people that will be introduced through the prosperity gospel, um, my hope is the prosperity gospel will be destroyed, um, that it will be no more, and we will see the true gospel that is spelled out to us in the scripture. But in the meantime... At least people are hearing the name of Jesus, hopefully being introduced to the person of Jesus, and then hopefully searching the full counsel of God in Scripture for themselves so that they might then see a different version of Jesus. Because the, the Jesus that they're being introduced to is a genie, is a name it and claim it. It's a, hey, uh, it's, it's using Jesus as a means to an end instead of the end. Like Jesus is the end. He is all that we will ever need, all that we should ever want. He is not the, the tunnel to our health and our wealth. He is our health and our wealth. I, this is a phrase that's too clever for me to, I don't know if I've stolen it from somewhere, but I've said all the time, Jesus didn't come to give us health and wealth. He came to give us himself. And so I hope that people see that he is the true prize. I hope that they find that. I don't think that's what is being preached in the prosperity gospel. In fact, I know that's not what is being preached. But my hope is in the, in the haze of the gospel that is being preached, I pray that God might draw people to the real truth, the real nugget in there. And so um, in, its, in its pure form, the prosperity gospel, are people finding the true Jesus? I don't think so, but I think God can use it. And my prayer is that his spirit will break through the weeds of selfish ambition and envy and mm, uh, maybe wolves in sheep clothing of those who are preaching it. That brings me to my next question. How can we test our faith and identify those parts that might not actually be biblical? Mm. I mean, after that movie, all of a sudden I recognize some beliefs and ways of thinking I had might not actually be correct. Mm. Is there a way to figure out where we're wrong in our personal faith? Wow, yeah. Uh, it's going to be individual. And it's going to be hard to quantify. Um, it's going to be like when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and they said, our God can save us from this fiery furnace. Our God will save us from this fiery furnace, they claimed in faith. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, thanks be to God. Are you willing to say that? If you don't have health, if you don't have wealth, are you willing to say God can give me health? God can give me wealth, but even if he doesn't, Thanks be to God. Are you, are you willing to say like Job, naked I came into the world, but naked I leave, but thanks be to God. Are, are, you, are you able, and, it, and it's hard to really decide this in your prayer, are you willing to say like, if I lost everything, if God called me to be the rich young ruler and to give it all away and follow after him, are you able to do that? 
Um, if you are, then, I th then, then you know the true prize who is Jesus. Now, I mean, that's even as a pastor, I, look at, I, I think of that prayer and I think, man, if I were to lose everything, my wife, my child, my home, my job, how mad would I be? How faithful would I be? That, that's hard. But it's possible in our prayers to at least search that concept. We must know that Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is everything. And if everything were to be stripped away, would we still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? If we were in the midst of suffering, would we still know that God has a purpose in that suffering? If we are struggling from bill to bill, if we lose our job, are we still blessed be the name of the Lord? If we come down with a diagnosis of cancer tomorrow, is it blessed be the name of the Lord? Because life is filled with pink slips. Life is filled with unexpected phone calls. Life is filled with, we, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world, but we serve a risen Savior. And so do we expect the risen Savior to give us paradise now? That's what the prosperity gospel says. Jesus left so that he would go and prepare a place for us so that when he comes back, then we will be with him also. In those moments, there would be no more tear, no more death, no more pain. Why do we expect that to be in the now? Put our hope in Christ, who is with us now, but also is preparing a better place for us, and have our hope there. Are we willing to say if we lost everything, blessed be the name of the Lord? That's, that's kind of the litmus test. Tim Byer, pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, Maryland, taking the hardest questions we can think of. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We look forward to speaking to you again next month. All right, see you next time.